Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Trap Rock 101 podcast by Pirates and Poets. I am your host, John Burns. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, I am super excited to share this episode with you. It features a conversation with my good friend, James Sonny Jim White. Uh, Going to get to that conversation in just a couple minutes. But first, I have a few housekeeping things to take care of. Uh, first off, this is the Trap Rock 101 podcast where we are building a oral history of the Trap Rock genre and community. You can find us online at piratesandpoets.net slash traprock101 and uh, find all of our past episodes there on the website. I want to say thank you to our friends Kevin and Tish from Casa Tortuga out in California, Uh, Paul and Michelle McCormick down in Florida, Chris Mooney and Barb Leachman, Moonsail, and Glenn Atwell. All of those folks made donations to Pirates and Poets in the last couple weeks to help keep us going through the COVID-19 pandemic shutdown because, you know, it's affecting all of our musicians. And uh, when the musicians don't make money, well, Pirates and Poets doesn't make money. It doesn't take a lot to keep us going, but it does take something. So we appreciate all those folks uh, making a donation and supporting us. Uh, More housekeeping stuff. Don't forget to check out the Trap Rock 101 playlist on Spotify. I just created it uh, a couple weeks ago. It's kind of a playlist companion to this podcast, uh, 50 songs from artists that are discussed on this podcast, uh, who have appeared on this podcast, uh, lots of independent artists, but also a handful of songs from legends like Jimmy Buffett, the Beach Boys, etc., who, uh, of course, have had great influence on our independent artists. So uh, check that out, the Trap Rock 101 playlist on Spotify. Uh and speaking of Spotify, that is just one of many places where you can find the Trap Rock 101 podcast. We are on Spotify. We are on Apple Podcasts. The Podbean app, we just got added to Stitcher and lots of other places. Just pull up your favorite uh, podcast app and search for Trap Rock 101. Uh, and finally, last but not least, in the housekeeping department, um, if you missed it, last weekend, Jerry Diaz announced the uh, name of his new uh, music-focused social organization. The name of the organization is Saltwater. Two words: Saltwater Independent Music. Yes, the acronym. The acronym is SWIM. People are already having a lot of fun with that acronym. I think it's going to be uh, a lot of fun in the long run. We're, we we have all kinds of plans uh, for fun wordplay using the uh, Saltwater Independent Music slash SWIM name. Uh, so the Facebook page is up. We have a Facebook group started, so check those out. Uh, the website is coming soon. That's the next step in the process of getting uh, Saltwater Independent Music up and running across the country. Uh, this is a process. Uh, it's not going to happen overnight, so please be patient and stay tuned for more information from Jerry Diaz and the rest of the uh, Saltwater Independent Music crew. All right, now we're going to move on to the main event. Uh, Again, my guest for this episode is uh, James White. Many of you call him Sunday Jim. I just call him James. I like to think of myself as maybe being a little cooler than most because I just call him James. You know, like everybody called Magic Johnson, Magic Johnson, except Larry Bird. Larry Bird called him Irvin. So I call Sunday Jim James. I don't know if that makes me as cool as Larry Bird, but I don't know. I'm hoping. All right, Sonny Jim, James White. If you don't know who he is, uh, I think it is safe to call him a legend of the trap rock genre, a legend of the trap rock community. I think that he has been uh, on every single 
Mount Rushmore. At the end of each episode, I ask the, uh, my guest if they were going to build a Mount Rushmore of Trap Rock. Who would be on it? I'm pretty sure that James has been on every single Mount Rushmore. Um, he is a great songwriter, <clears throat> an incredible musician, incredible guitar player, a uh, great steel drum player. Um, on top of all that, he is also one of the nicest human beings you will ever want to meet anywhere. So uh, I just uh, I love spending time with him. I usually get to hang out with him four or five times a year at different events. And of course, 2020, I haven't seen him since uh, the Lone Star Luau, I think. So it was nice to catch up with him. We talk about a lot of stuff, including uh, James's er, the early days of James's career uh, when he lived and performed on the island of Grand Cayman. He had a lot of adventures there. We talk about that. Uh, we talk about his move back to the States uh, around 2000 or so. Uh, that's a period of James's life. I think that doesn't get a lot of, uh, it doesn't get a lot of attention. So I, I was interested to hear him talk about that more. We talk about, uh, his relationship with Jim Morris, the late great Jim Morris. And, uh, we kind of wrap things up with talking about his success as a live streamer here during the COVID-19 shutdown. So, uh, stay tuned for all that. He also debuts a brand new song towards the end of the episode. So make sure you listen all the way through to the end. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. This is the Trap Rock 101 podcast by Pirates and Poets. I'm John Burns. Please enjoy my conversation with the one and only James White. Let me just real quickly give you my brief history with this whole uh, enterprise. I um, grew up in Texas, San Antonio and Corpus Christi. My family moved to Bakersfield, California when I was 12. And I went to college up in Chico, California. Started playing music really a lot in Chico. Uh, in fact, I paid more attention to music than I did to <laughs> my studies. And I was on the five-year graduation plan for a liberal arts degree. <laughs> and uh, I had a gig right out of right out of college. I mean, the, the day I graduated, I had a gig with a band. And um, so I, I toured with that band for the summer and then uh, came back to Chico. And for three years, I worked processing Medicare claims until I paid off my PA system and my little pickup truck, and then I was gone. I was doing music full-time. Processing Medicare claims? Processing Medicare claims. I know a lot of stuff about medical stuff because I did three years of claims adjudication. That's what they call it. I never knew that about you. I know, man. I got flying fingers of fury for uh, typing. I'm a pretty good typist, and uh, I have a a lot of medical knowledge now because of all the things that I did. I processed an eyeglasses claim for uh, Roy Rogers. I'm just telling you, I've been around. <laughs> so so uh, I had a band in Northern California from about 1983 until probably a- until 86. And um, that band all migrated to Nashville. And I ended up going to Nashville for about a year and a half. I was seeing a girl that I thought I was in love with. It got my heart broken, got in the first band out of town. And that band took me to Grand Cayman in the Cayman Islands for one year. The The uh, resort we played was the, the Treasure Island Resort owned by a fella uh, that that owned a bunch of record stores. And this band did impersonations. We did a Prince. We did, uh, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Cindy Lauper. Um, we did a whole bunch of stuff. So I was going to do a Jimmy Buffett impersonation. I had seen Buffett in the summer of 1980, Red Rocks Amphitheater in uh, Denver, 
fabulous, fabulous place. But the reason I went there was here to the opening act, Leo Kotke, who was a fingerstyle guitar player. And um, so I love the Buppet Show. I mean, I was a I was a fan sort of before that. And but there I was in Grand Cayman. And we asked the guy that owned the resort to send us all the Buffett stuff he had. He owned a record, a chain of record stores called Mid-South Records. Anybody in Memphis and Nashville would remember them. I must say, I know that name. Well, so we ended up uh, never doing a Buffett, you know, uh, impersonation or whatever you want to call it, tribute thing. But I had, uh, at that time, I think 17 Buffett cassette tapes at my disposal and I'm living in the middle of the freaking Caribbean. And so it was a natural for me. I remember getting off the airplane and telling the band leader, I, you know, I felt the salt air, which reminded me of my time in Corpus Christi only two years, but it was from the time I was 10 till I was 12. So it was a huge influence, you know, that coming of age time. And um, I told the band leader, I said, you can find another guitar player in a year. Cause I'm staying. And, I ended up staying, and I, I got a job at the Hyatt Regency there, and I was the entertainer. I had a title. I had an actual title. I was the artist in residence at the Hyatt Regency Grand Cayman from 1987 until 2000. And so there I was immersed in scuba diving, snorkeling, sailing, fishing, um, life on the beach, and so that's what I wrote about. And there was this is critical, there was, at the dawn of the interweb, there was a thing called the Buffett Listserv. Are you familiar with the Buffett Listserv? I remember it. I think as I was getting into it, the Buffett Listserv was still hanging on barely, so I had I had a little time on it. Well, I, there, I still have a lot of friends that I met back in those times, and this would have been 19... We, we first got the internet in Grand Cayman in about probably 19... 89 or so and maybe 90 and um, it was 30 cents a minute for dial-up internet so we didn't do a lot of web surfing but you could download the Buffett list surf and um, and communicate with all these other people that were Buffett fans and and so I would you know join on there and say oh yeah my favorite song is son of a sailor or whatever and we'd go on and on about that but that's where i first made the contact and then i had some friends that came down some people who were part of the listserv one was carrie parker who is deceased now but god bless her and and she became a big fan of mine i probably had two cds by that time uh, although my first one came out on cassette tape um but so she got introduced to my music. It got spread around to some other people. Al and Marsha Greengold from Long Island in New York uh, became fans, and they started spreading my music around. Next thing you know, I'm getting invited to come play for Parrothead Clubs uh, in the U.S. Uh, I say the next thing you know. My dad lives in Houston, and so anytime I went up there, uh, I would play for the Parrothead Club, the Galveston Bay Club. Yay! That's and uh, right where I'm sitting at right now. That's just amazing. And uh, Marcy Delisandri was the one that got me into the Blue Heaven during Meeting of the Minds. So I've been playing Meeting of the Minds since the first year it was in in uh, Key West. But so I, I ended up getting to know Parrotheads around the world. But the the really big break for me was 
Buffett came down to uh, Grand Cayman on his the beginning of his uh, trip around the Caribbean, which later became his book, A Pirate Looks at 50. For his 50th birthday, he took a trip in the seaplane in the Hemisphere Dancer around the rim of the Caribbean. The first stop, Grand Cayman. And because he stayed at the Hyatt, everybody at the Hyatt was like, oh, guess who's coming to just going to be here. Jimmy Buffett's going to be here because we weren't supposed to let anyone know that we knew who was coming. Well, uh, he uh, he stayed there, and we we actually, through just sheer luck, um, ended up picking him up at the private airport there when they came in, and uh, gave him and Cameron a ride back to the Hyatt where he was staying, and we babysat Cameron while Jimmy went to have his fiftieth birthday with the guys that were on the plane. And uh, as I recall, there were three or four other, other guys. And anyhow, he, so that was my big post to the listserv. What did you do for Christmas this year? Well, I was hanging out with Jimmy Buffett. So that made some good, you know, it made, it was, it was fun to be able to say that. And uh, he mentioned me in the book, me and Adela, the ever likable, instantly likable Adela, my wife. And the next thing you know, Parrot has read about us in that bestseller, and voila, I started playing all over the country for Parrothead Clubs. I've been doing that since probably 1998 or 99, been playing for Parrothead Clubs around the country. So it's been really fun. The whole Jimmy, uh, you know, you babysitting uh, for Jimmy on his birthday, you you guys were in the book, and uh I remember reading the book, and I'm pretty sure I read Pirate Looks at 50 the summer after my senior year in high school, so the summer of 99, maybe the summer of 2000. And I remember that. I remember thinking, this guy got like this lucky enough to, you know, like, know. Jimmy Buffett. How does that happen? <laughs> yeah, how does that happen? And uh, and the funny thing is, I don't think he referred to you as Sonny Jim in the book. No, no, no. I was James White, although the whole Sonny Jim story is another. Uh, interesting story. I had a drummer friend, uh, Andy Arrow is his name, that when I was right out of college, we had a band together called the Poppers in Northern California. And we played sort of pop, up-tempo, fun, jangly guitar music. So Andy was a huge Beatles fan. And remember the movie Hard Day's Night? There's the guy who plays uh, Paul's grandfather. And he's a famous British comedian and actor but he kept referring to the boys you listen to me sonny jim and he'd wag his finger at them you listen to me sonny jim <laughs> which is a british slang for uh whippersnapper essentially you listen to me young man and uh because of my uh sunny disposition my friend andy started calling me sonny jim back in about 19 it was when i moved to nashville at least 86 <laughs> So the band that I joined to get out of Nashville was working on a cruise ship. The second gig I did, it was, it was like meant to be. We were working on a cruise ship and the Jamaican deck band that played on the Lido deck every afternoon, <laughs> they jumped ship in, in Jamaica and the music director on the ship, entertainment director said, hey, can one of you guys fill in out there? And uh, I said, sure, you know, I can do that. And so just me and the acoustic guitar out by the pool bar and they said, but you need a Caribbean-sounding name to put in the newspaper where they slip under your door, you know, every day on a cruise ship. And I said, well, my buddy calls me Sonny Jim. That kind of sounds like it. The band started calling me that. When we got to Grand Cayman, 
everybody knew me as Sonny Jim. So that I've been been called Sonny Jim since nineteen full time since nineteen eighty seven, maybe eighty eight. Wow. Yeah, and you know it works, I guess. Yeah. Just don't call me late for dinner. But but I read the book, and 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 that stood out to me. As young as I was, then that that part about really? you and Adele stood out to me. And then a couple of years later, I start listening to Radio Margaritaville. Mm-hmm. And I hear this Sunday Jim guy. You were probably the first one of all the independent artists that I knew who you were. Hmm. Um, and this is before I joined a Paradise Club, anything. Right. And then, and then years later, you know, years later, I mean, I'm talking 2010, 11, after I moved to Texas, Jerry said something and I went, wait, what? The guy oh, in the book is Sonny Jim? I'd never put it together. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, well, you know, never for put it together. While, for a while, it was a, you know, it was a, a talking point. When I'd meet people, I'd say, yeah, you know, I, they, because invariably you live in the Caribbean and you play music and, and write your own music and people say, well, have you met Jimmy Buffett? And well, you know, for a while it was like, oh yeah, you know, and, and, um, man, the, the story goes on because whenever we would come to the States, he said, you know, if we're in the area, cause he, I have a, a post-it note with his phone number and email from the time that he wrote and he gave it to us. He said, call me if you're coming to the States and we'll get you into the shows. And so we did that for, you know, four or five years. I went to every Buffett show that I was in town for. And because I had made that connection with the Parrothead Clubs, I did a lot of them. And I got to know, you know, play the concert parties. And uh, and I'd had the backstage pass and I'd go hang out. And uh, it was a lot of fun. It was really cool. Um, but after, you know, 10 years of that, you don't want to say to people, hey, I'm the guy in Jimmy Buffett's book. So I just don't really talk about it that much anymore. Well, and the whole show. By the way, I'm the guy in Jimmy Buffett's book. Yeah, and uh, and uh, you ended up in uh, the movie. Was it The Firm or was it Pelican Brief? I- no, it was The Firm, and, and it's showing right now on Netflix. We watched it about five nights ago. And uh, with some friends of ours, and I hadn't literally hadn't seen it probably in, you know, seven or eight years. And it was really fun to go back and watch. It's really a good movie. Yeah. But I mean, that probably became just as big a talking point uh, as the being in Jimmy Buffett's book, maybe bigger in the right circles. Well, yeah. I mean, it's really one of those fun things, right place at the right time and maybe with the right skills. The director, Sidney Pollack, was scouting locations in Grand Cayman staying at the Hyatt and I'm out at the pool bar singing to him every afternoon as he's drinking martinis smoking cigars and looking through three big three ring binders probably going over notes for the movie and he was really nice and we we got to be conversational you know and uh, so about a week before they came down to film actually longer than that a couple of weeks before they came down to film I got a call from the unit uh, the unit audio or the unit music producer saying uh mr pollock wants to know if you'd like to be in the movie i'm like duh of course <laughs> so yeah it's been really fun really cool and the grand cayman that is so important to your story to your whole family's story um, uh, so many especially you know your early songs are are so centered around the location and the stories about time just talk about grand cayman a little bit um and the people you met there and everything 
Well, it's funny. This afternoon, uh, I was visiting a friend down the street, and I was telling him we were it's almost embarrassing to say because it sounds like a Sunny Jim cliche, but we were going to have chili dogs for dinner tonight. <laughs> I got canceled because my daughter Katie's coming home tomorrow night, and she requested we have them tomorrow night. So, but I was telling him the story of how that song came around, and there are so many really fun stories. I was telling him that uh, the friend that that song is based on um took everybody's shifts during the summer so they could have time off and then he got overserved on his first day off and he ended up running and this is this is what will tell you what grand came was like when i first moved there in 1987 uh or 88 there was only one stoplight on the island and it wasn't red yellow green it was a flashing red light right in the middle of downtown right on the harbor just literally one block from where the Margaritaville is there today. But that was the only stoplight on the island. So that's how long ago it was. There were no stoplights. Now there's roundabouts all around the island. Uh, and that was much, much later. So Grand Cayman in those days was still small. They didn't have the tourism, the uh, cruise ship tourism that they have now. And now it's, it's huge there, although with the coronavirus, they've been shut down, completely shut down for a couple of months and they don't expect to open until maybe November. So, you know, Grand Cayman was a really cool old Caribbean place when I got there and I watched it grow through that from a moratorium on building above three stories. There were no buildings except for a couple of office buildings downtown. Nothing over three stories on Seven Mile Beach. Well, that went out the window when the money started coming in, and now there's some 14-story places there. And it still has its old charm once you get out of Seven Mile Beach area. It was was a great place. Met my wife there. Our kids lived there. They were born in, in Houston. But uh, we lived there till they were eight, and it was just, it was really storybook. We miss those days a lot. Uh, it's on my bucket list of places to go, and I'm going to go for one of y'all's organized trips. You need you know, to I, come with us. Absolutely. I got to get the Sony Gym experience. So. I will show you. Well, that's been the cool thing about us going down there. We usually take a group of maybe 80 or so. Um, I think we've had as many as 105 people come with us. and But we do a bus tour around the island, and we go to the places like where I proposed to Adela under this palm tree and uh, where my friend got pulled over when he was going to get that late-night chili dog and just, you know, kind of stuff like that. It's It's just such a cool place. I have a lot of, you know, my life, I always say that my life didn't start until I moved to Grand Cayman. And uh, I all everything before it was just prep work, and uh, <laughs> so it's you know it means the world to us. It really does. We love that place. Well, you know, I've heard a lot about your Cayman days, both from your stories and just from the music. And you know, I got to know you on a personal level probably for the first time ten or twelve years ago. What I don't know much about is the process of y'all moving back to the states, settling in Florida. Even though y'all are, you and Adela both are Texas folks, uh, so I'd like to hear some about that kind of the two you know two thousands. Well, uh, we knew we wanted to come back to the states when one one of our daughters because we had a Jamaican nanny, and and so the dialect crept into our house, and 
one of my daughters who was about seven at the time said, Mommy, how, uh, Katie said this, Mommy, Hallie's troubling me. And we're like, oh, <laughs> go. And, you know, uh, so we, we knew they needed, and actually the real reason was our girls were reading at a ninth grade level in uh, second grade, third grade. And so we knew they needed to be back in the States where there was a school that could handle them. So we decided to move in 2000. We did the Millennium uh, there in Grand Cayman. And uh, we moved. We put all of our belongings into a container and shipped it all to uh, Miami. And we moved to South Texas where we still have a little house to this day that, that we actually bought and moved to some land that my wife's mother, Adela's mother, Virginia, gave to us that was from her father uh, to be handed down through the, to the family. So that's down near Harlingen, Texas, way south. And um, so we, we moved there. We lived with her mother and father. And we, wanted, we did that so the girls would get to know family because Adela has an extended family that's really very centered in that area. My family is uh, my brother at the time lived in California. My sister lived in Sweden, and she's still there. My brother's in Colorado now, but my family was spread all over. So we um, spent one year there. The girls went to, high school, uh, to uh, elementary school, fourth grade in Lyford, Texas. And we lived out in the country. We had goats and chickens and ducks and uh, uh, cats. And we didn't see, did we have a pig? I don't think we had a pig, but, you know, the, the brother-in-law had all that. So we did one year down there to be with family, but we knew we wanted to go to Florida. We didn't know where. Um, because of our connection to Buffett, Adela had been offered a job with Radio Margaritaville. And I had, in fact, been offered a job at a Margaritaville in um, Miami that never got built um, because it, if you remember, there was some brouhaha about Buffett going to, to Cuba and, and saying what a great place Cuba was. And so all the Miami Cubans were up in arms right. protesting that never got built. And we did, we didn't move down there. Uh, we ended up coming to the Sarasota area um, actually from some parrot heads that we had met at meeting of the minds um, recommended it to us, and we looked into it. It was perfect for us. And we've been here in Osprey, Florida, which is a suburb just south of Sarasota, between Sarasota and Venice. We've been here since 2001, and we love it. Absolutely love it. And somewhere along the way there, you became good buddies with Jim Morris. Oh, yeah. In fact, at the first meeting of the mines in Key West, Alex Leist, who was in charge of the Meeting of the Minds and had a, on the big stage, which looking back now is like a flatbed truck back <laughs> in those days, a uh, big stage at the Casa Marina. He said, you two guys would be good together. Why don't you get on stage? And so Jim and I talked and we had never met before that moment. And we talked, well, what kind of music do you like? Who do you like? What do you like? And we had so many common things that was so this is going to be easy. And we got up there, and I heard his writing. He, he had left a corporate job to maybe try his hand at being a songwriter. And I, I tell you what, I was knocked out by the songs that he played then. And uh, so we hit it off, and he only lived about 40 minutes south of me in Punta Gorda. And um, 
we ended up being becoming really good friends and we played all over the country together. I never got to do one of his trips to Belize or Fiji or one of those things, but we did, you know, hundreds, a uh, hundred thousand miles together on the road easily and uh, played all over. And I played in his band sometimes, got to know his band uh, over the years, opened for them sometimes. And, you know, it was just, it was a really great friendship and it was devastating when he died out in Seattle four years ago. So really hard. Yeah. And you two um, being a guy who, when I got into this whole community, I was living in Arkansas and then moved to Texas. Um, I think people who live, when you see an artist on a weekly or monthly basis, I think you take them for granted a little bit, you know? I, I agree. So for the folks who lived over in this part of the world, you and Jim were like the gods. <laughs> uh, you know, if, if Jimmy Buffett was the God, y'all were the next level below him. Um, well, and, were you there when we played the Blue Marlin in Kima? Do you remember that? No, that was before my time. That was the Gulf Coast Highway Tour in 2001. And we left Sarasota and we played in, in uh, let's see, we played in Biloxi. We, we played uh, San Antonio. And, uh, we, you know, we just did the Gulf Coast between here and, and Galveston. And, you know, my dad at that point, was living in Kima. My mother had Alzheimer's and passed away in 99. And uh, so anytime, any chance I got to go through Houston to see my dad, I would take that up. So we stayed at my dad's house. And uh, Jim always said he liked staying at my dad's house because they had good water pressure in the showers. (laughs) He said, that's how I judge a good place to stay is if the water pressure is good. He was so, we had so much fun together. I just, you know, I, I, I can't tell you how much fun we had. It was just a great friendship and, uh, you know, miss him dearly. Absolutely. Am I correct in understanding that y'all pretty much never wrote together though? Almost never. There's that one song. (laughs) Um, I played on a lot of his albums, but that you're right. We never really wrote together and I don't know why that is. Just uh, maybe neither one of us were ready. I, he never wrote with anybody. That may be why. But we, he and John Frenzy and myself did uh, a four or five day stint at the Margaritaville in Key West. And we went down there with every intention that we're going to write a bunch of songs and make a record together. Because the three of us were playing together pretty regularly at that point. In fact, at the Meeting of the Minds, we used to do a thing sponsored by Alex Leist and some of his friends from New Jersey called the Jersey Boys. It was a fundraiser for childhood illness. And uh, so John and Jim and I did that quite every year, maybe seven or eight years. Well, we went to Key West with the good intentions, excuse me, of writing a bunch of songs. And of course, we were down there for pretty much a week and we didn't write anything but we hit all the bars and and, uh, on the way back frenzy said something like you know we really should probably write a song and so we did we wrote a song called coconut pete that both of those guys recorded i haven't recorded yet maybe i will i don't know (laughs) that was our only co-write so funny jim and i did start writing uh, a song about 
that ended up being his song called Gulf Coast Highway. I don't know mm-hmm. if you remember that. my yes. Kima's hobbies. Jim was always good with the tricky wordplay. So it wasn't Kimosabe like Hanto would say, but it was Kima, like where you live. I've never caught that. Yeah. Never have? Oh, yeah. It's never I, clicked in my head. Yeah. That's it. And that was, uh, that was my down the Gulf Coast Highway. Um, yeah, we started that. And I have the original little slip of paper. It was like a, a notepad from some hotel we stayed in somewhere. And uh, I think it ended up in the uh, – we drove his motorhome on that tour with Mark Friedman, of all people. Mark helped organize that. And uh, the three of us laughed our way across the southern U.S. And we had – it was just – it was too much fun. <laughs> It was great. But yeah, I think that was uh, that trip. Hmm. Talking about the Blue Marlin and Kima, it's it's now called Pier 8 um, there uh, by the Kima Bridge. A couple right. a couple years ago, uh, the girls from Drop Dead were in town, and it's October, and it was like that first cold front that comes through in October, you know? Oh, and, yeah. And it only gets down to 65, but people freak out like snow's coming. But yeah. uh, we ended up going over to the boardwalk, Mm-hmm. like 8 30 on a tuesday or wednesday night so there's like nobody on the boardwalk and we went over there with a friend of ours who works at t-bone toms and we ended up you know it's me kitty mel and a bunch of off-duty bartenders from all over Kima hanging out and they're right. playing they're playing all this stuff on the on the pa there you know the house system and a lot of it is you know trop rock and and that kind of stuff and all of a sudden melanie and i both go what the hell because everything they were playing was commercial stuff. And all of a sudden, they're playing Floating Opera by Jim Morris. Really? Yeah. And, I mean, and Melanie and I are just losing our minds. And Kitty's, Kitty knows something's up, but she hadn't snapped to it yet because she doesn't know Jim Morris, you know, like, like Mel and I do. And it was just the weirdest thing, you know. We got the beer kegs and crab legs, spice rum and weenies. Guitars and steel drums, girls without bikinis. We're laughing, we're singing, we're dancing, we're high. Check out the floating opera going by. Oh, I was there when that one got inspired. <laughs> Have you heard that story? I had not. So let me, before, before you get into that story, I want to run an idea by you here. Um, for the folks like Jim Morris, like DJ Jeff Allen, who are not here to be interviewed, my idea is to get for Jim Morris to get you, Patty, and maybe either Alex Leist or Mark Friedman all together on the show and just oh tell all your Jim Morris stories. Oh my God, that let's do that. That would be awesome. Get Alex, Mark Friedman, uh, Jimmy Pappas would be another good one to throw in there. Yeah. You know, a lot of people didn't get the chance to know Jim well, and that's just a shame because he was a very genuine guy, and he was a little bit shy, like so many performers can be, and uh, so people took that that he was standoffish or maybe stuck up until they had a conversation with him, and when you were talking to Jim, he was totally focused, and and he was... Very, very intelligent. So he would ask you, you know, not stupid, drunk 
late night questions, but intelligent questions about you and about where you live and what you did. Invariably, he would know a great place to eat somewhere close <laughs> to where you live. He knew the back roads of the whole country. He really did from his corporate days. But um, so let me give you just a two second version of, of uh, floating opera. Uh, That's a, a book title, by the way, the gym and ready thought that would make a great song, but we were playing at a place called the jetty up in the Kent Narrows in Maryland. And uh, we'd finished and we were getting ready to leave the next day. We we're waiting to pick up our check. And the woman who owned the place said, I'm not paying you <laughs> till you come on a boat ride with me. And so we were held hostage and honest to God, we were ready to go. But this lady said, you got to come have a picnic with us. And uh, so she and her husband and the daughter, who I think she was trying to interest Jim in, I, I don't know. I'm not going to say Jim was married, of course, at the time. Um, but we ended up going out and spending the day on the boat. And that, that, was, the, that was the impetus for that song. Well, we can maybe go into the longer story because let's do it. Let's get some people together soon and, and tell Jim more stories. So. That's a great idea. That's a great I just, you know, I, I feel so bad for so many people that never really got to know him. Uh, he was just, just a cool guy, fisherman, sailor, boat, boating guy. He loved songwriting. He loved talking about writers and, and songwriting. And he was just, he was fun. He was so silly, he was unbelievably silly. <laughs> you know, on, on one of his, his early albums, he had met a cook at the Navigator, the famous Navigator Grill here in Lake Susie, just about 40 minutes from my house. Uh, his name was Billy, and Billy had bought uh, an acre of land on the moon. On the moon. On the moon. And this was about the time that, uh, who was it? Was it uh, oh God, somebody famous that had his head cryogenically frozen? Ted Williams. Ted Williams, that was it. So it was like, and Jim was a baseball player too. I don't know if you knew that in college. Mm -hmm. He was a baseball player. Um, but uh, so he, he put all that together. And Billy bought an acre on the dark side of the moon, on the bright side of the moon, and he was going to cut off his head and come back from the dead and be a <laughs> billionaire. But that's just the kind of goofiness that, that was Jim Morris. It's great, great fun. <laughs> uh, well, the last thing I kind of want to talk about in the history portion of this before we get to modern, this modern-day mess we're all living in right now is uh, Blue Heaven and the uh, institution it has become on Sunday of Meeting the Minds Week in Key West? Well, the quick rundown there is when I lived in Nashville, I not only frequented the Bluebird Cafe where all the great songwriters would go, but I also ran sound there, and I also was the first person to do the early shift, the 6 to 9 show there during dinner. Uh, before all the great songwriters would come on. I met Paul Overstreet back in the late, I guess, 1986, 87 there. He, you know, he doesn't remember it, but of course, Paul Overstreet, uh, yeah, and, yeah. And, and everybody else who was there, John Prine as well. And um, so when I was in Cayman, I was so sequestered because I had to, uh, only work at the Hyatt because of the work permit situation, which is another reason we left there because I couldn't work anywhere, only at the Hyatt which, who held my work permit. So I had always dreamed about doing a writers in the round kind of a thing, 
1998, I did my first show there, uh, thanks to Mar Marcy Delisandri. Marcy and Tommy knew uh, the folks that own Blue Heaven, and they called there and said, we have this guy who would be really good on Sunday. So I did the first show there. The next year, I had met so many people traveling around the country that I invited a whole bunch of people. Howie Golub was one. Jim Hain was one. Uh, Jim was one. Uh, just all these people I had met from around the country and invited them because it was just a communal thing to share the joy of making music together and to get to visit with each other, even if it's briefly and on stage in front of 700 people there. So that, that became the Blue Heaven Sunday. And uh, I get a lot of people asking, you know, hey, you got a spot for me? And, and it's tough because it's a four-hour show and, and it's hard. And it's, it's my show. It's my, I tend to say that it's my treat to myself for the whole year, you know. That's like my holy space right there is up on that water tower, the Blue Heaven. I'm the only person that, that they have play on the water tower, by the way. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, we've developed a really great friend uh, with Rick there at, at Blue Heaven. So Richard now used to be Ricky's Blue Heaven in the early days. Did you know that? I did not know that, no. Yeah, and he grew up, and it's, rich, it's Richard now. Yeah, <laughs> it's Blue Heaven. It's no longer Ricky's Blue Heaven. But cool place, and it's, it's been so much fun over the years. It's been really good. Yeah, I remember when I made my first trip to Meeting in the Minds in 2006, that that was one of the things, you know, everybody was like, you have to go to Blue Heaven, you have to go to Blue Heaven. So, well, so. you know, like, like anything else, it waxes and wanes. I remember down being down, um, leaning against the main, the building of the restaurant, and it was, we hadn't started yet, and there was a woman next to me, and she was like so put out because there was no place to sit. She said, I think they just need to, you know, take this off the uh, meeting of the minds schedule. And I said, first of all, this is not an official meeting of the minds schedule. And second of all, this is my show. This is my, my treat to myself for a year of working hard on the road. And she was like, Oh, is that so? <laughs> you know, people yeah. don't understand the sometimes what goes on behind them, but you know, we've experienced a drop at times because people say it's too crowded. We're not going to go there. We're not going to get in. And uh, last year when we did it, it rained like hell before we started. Yes. Dropped right, right before it was time to go on. And uh, we've never, we got hurricaned out one year, um, but where everybody had to leave Key West, but we've never been actually rained out or rained on during the show there, which is amazing. Yes, that is. Thank you, God. <laughs> well, what is, uh, is, is Blue Heaven still a possibility for this year? Or, Yeah, you know, we're, like anything else, everything is kind of up in the air. My whole summer tour was canceled. Uh, my trip to Grand Cayman got postponed with uh, 80 people, and actually to Little Cayman, and, and it got postponed, and then now we've had to cancel that. And um, so life is so up in the air with this coronavirus, and we really want to be safe with our fans and our friends. Uh, but we are planning on going to Key West and doing Tuesday Night of the Conk Republic, which I've been doing since 1998, uh, the Welcome to Key West party. And uh, then Friday, a Pirates and Poets show, right? Yes, that's the plan. And 
than uh, Sunday at Blue Heaven. So we're, you know, we're planning on going. We're still, we're committed. Yeah. But yeah. of course we want to be like everyone else. We want to be smart. We want to be careful. So that's the plan. Hopefully it will all work out because this year has sucked enough. It has, <laughs> you know, I, I got a, I got a, uh, email forwarded to me today that had a Nostradamus back in 1500 predicted 2020 was going to be a year when the queen from Spain, the Corona was going to come with someone from China to, and of course the Nostradamus never predicted that, but 2020 has been a Nostradamus year. I mean, it's yes. like all we need is like a plague of locusts and that's pretty much covers it because everything else. <laughs> well, and for those of us who live on the coast, I'm going, I'm going, guys, y'all know we're going to have a huge storm this year, right? I agree. Us too. <laughs> I mean, if you look at the spaghetti models, Sarasota has been, you know, we've been so lucky over the years. They come up and then they go inland or they come up and they go across the Gulf and they kick the New Orleans ass or your ass or my old house yeah. down in, in South Texas. Was just, we just lost our carport there in this right. last hurricane. Yeah, I saw that. What is it? Was it? Was it called? Anyhow, Hannah with it spelt spelt the Jerry Diaz way. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool. So we'll blame it on Jerry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, you know, I agree. I I'm holding my breath for this summer. We're just we have the hurricane shutters ready to go up. And actually, this is the first summer I've been home for hurricane season in probably almost 15 years. Wow. So it's it's kind of neat. I forgot how bloody hot it gets here in, <laughs> in Florida during the summer. How uh, how far are y'all from water? I am eleven feet above sea level, and probably I will guess probably a hundred yards from Little Sarasota Bay. There's yeah. one street one street over from us towards the water. So whatever typical house lots are, yeah, we're a hundred yards from the water. Yeah, so storm surge is a real concern. It is a concern. and um, But, you know, you look at the historical models. Oh, God, I shouldn't even mention this because, you know, you know it's going to be the, the bad juju to say. But, but we've been really lucky in this particular spot in Florida. So yeah. hopefully we'll go with that for another year. Hey y'all, this is Kitty Stedman from Drop Dead Dangerous. I want to thank you for listening to Trop Rock 101 podcast with Pirates and Poets. Pirates and Poets is a crucial platform for independent artists and writers, and they have been working tirelessly to make sure that we make it through this difficult time. Please show them your support as well by visiting piratesandpoets.net slash store or piratesandpoets.net slash donate. Cheers, y'all. Well, while we're on 2020 and COVID, uh, you, I mean, everybody by, by just, they had to do it, uh, has embraced streaming shows and everything, but you have taken it just to another level. You were telling me before we hit record how much time and effort, you know, you've spent into really yeah. building a great streaming rig and, and really you're, you're not just sitting on your couch, uh, with a guitar. No. Um, in fact, when we first started this, because I lost an entire summer of work, I was scheduled to go from Florida through Texas, through Arizona, out to San Diego, up to Seattle, 
over to Chicago for the Chicago Chill and Boise in between, and then down to uh, Clear Lake, Iowa for the fabulous um, um, Island Fest there. Um, anyhow, the, the Surf Ballroom show, and all of that was canceled. And so I had nothing. And on top of that, all my local gigs were already booked out because I was planning on being gone. So I didn't get on that. So I knew I needed to do something. And we tried a live live stream show. And I think 20 years of touring in the U.S. have paid off because I have a great fan base. I love you guys. A great fan base all around the country that have been tuning in. And they have been hitting the tip jar enough that that we're we're not suffering which is why i haven't applied for unemployment which i probably technically could but you know we're we're making it happen we're making it work and i've learned a lot about the video portion of doing an audio video show and um, we've sunk some money into trying to make it all better so yeah, yeah and the impressive thing to me and and i don't know specifics but i know enough that I can tell that I, I know a lot of folks their their streaming tip jar income has steadily declined from those first couple of weeks. And I'm sure yours has declined some. It, has. it seems like that you have maintained a lot better than a lot of folks have. Well, you know, again, it's because I've been out there and I, I have, and that's one of the things I love about what I do is that I get to actually interact with my, my fans and and it's a it's a mutual thing. I love hanging out with them. I love. I ended up staying at a lot of people's homes uh, while I've played a, across the country, and and really it has been a twenty year journey to get here. And they've been so supportive. They come on the trips with us, and we have a great time. And you know, it's it's an extended family and uh, a patronage, if you will. They uh, they look out for me, and I I try and give them something that I think is, is worth giving. Um, I've had a a whole bunch of people tell me that they have really looked forward to my Wednesday shows with John Patty and my Friday shows as a solo because it's helping him through this crazy year. What a crazy year. So yeah, it's, I've been very lucky and and I, I count my blessings and I'm so thankful for the people that have been there in support of me. And I, I, you know, I give them the best I can. I think you've definitely gone above and beyond. So uh, it's been a, it's been a crazy year, but I'm glad, you know, I'm glad that that most of our people have managed to at least squeak by. And um, you know, like, like all the musicians, I'm thankful to the, uh, all the folks who, uh, who have supported all of y'all. And they're even, you know, they're even supporting people like, Eric Babbitt and myself a little bit. Uh, it got to the point where EB and I have both put donate <laughs> buttons on our websites and, and we're getting a little bit that way, you know, cause it, it takes a, it's just been crazy. You know, well, you know, I, I, in, in one sense, because the, the business of music has gone so downhill for the independent performer in the last 15 years. Um, because, you know, I'm, if, if I were playing local clubs which i am doing now i'm making the same thing i made 20 years ago there's been no cost of living increase for people that do what i do because there are so many people that do it as a second job that you know you can other people can be you know doing the same gig 
for less money. Right. And sometimes that's what the club owners look at. But thankfully, there's places like T-Bone Tom's, God bless them, where they, they appreciate the fact that you're unique, that you have a following, that you're doing something that's, you know, different from cover tunes. Right. And I have, that's a lot of the places that I play are like that. And the, the people that come out to hear me are appreciative of that. So I've, I've been really lucky that, that it's all kind of worked together during this crazy time. And this crazy time has meant that I'm able to do the live streaming shows and, uh, and people tune in and it's a, a nice relief for them. Yeah. Uh, any, any new, new records on the way eventually? I have a new fence in my backyard (laughs) about uh, almost five weeks. I mean, believe me, this was a process and I'm about to build a pergola in the backyard where by the time this airs, the pergola will be done. We'll be doing some live shows from out there. Um, And so, no, I I am writing. I do have some new songs, um, but I haven't had a chance to hit the studio yet. Once the pergola is done, the, uh, you know, then I'm I'm back in the studio, and I really miss it. I'm really excited about doing it. I'm wondering if Donnie Brewer will help me do it because Donnie's the best. I, I think that it, it, he might be willing to do that for you. So we've we've actually talked, and I just need to figure out how we're going to do it, and what we're going to do. But uh, yeah, I've I've got new music. I've got some great ideas and some snappy rhythms, and I'm ready to go. Time now. Yeah. Need to finish the pergola. So, uh, as you look back on, you know, your first, first summer without touring in 15 or 20 years, are there any highlights, any, any shows, any events that, that just stand out? Oh my gosh. Yes. Well, the, the trips that we've taken in the summer have all been great. Grand Cayman, Little Cayman, which is my favorite place on earth. Uh, those those things, the trip to Hawaii with Tom and Michelle Becker, um, and there, there are so many things. Uh, playing uh, in, uh, shoot, playing at T-Bone Tom's. That's kind of my old stomping ground there. Playing, uh, yeah, the, the shows like the Chicago Chill, that's been a great experience. Uh, playing out at... Um, the Casa Tortuga in San Diego area. That's always great. Uh, Kelly McGuire and Mark Mulligan and I, the three amigos, have done some wonderful touring from Seattle through Colorado and and in Texas. And, and here, actually, we have some shows planned in October here. Cool. Uh, just just those, kind of, those kind of things. You know, road life, I know a lot of people say it's, it's hard and stuff, and Honestly, I love the driving. I don't mind the drives. Uh, I love when I get to spend time with other musicians and we get to actually visit and have those deep conversations about, you know, what what is your favorite rum? What is your favorite beer? <laughs> Who's the cutest girl you know? Deep, I'm just kidding. Deep <laughs> conversations. Conversations. But, you know, just the camaraderie of doing that and, and seeing people that you know and and having having a party, playing for a party, uh, like I said, Chicago Chill, playing um, at the uh, Island Fever Showcase uh, there in, in Clear Lake, Iowa. So looking forward to that again this time. 
because it's just you know it's it's an unbelievably cool venue, and it's uh, almost a a mecca sort of a place for musicians. There's so many places I love playing people's backyards, so I do miss that terribly. I really really do, and I know most of us that travel do miss that. Um, we're not getting rich; we're making a living, but it's the quality of life that that we all get from this interaction between fans and uh, artists, you know, musicians. It's, it's just a really cool thing. And I don't think there's another genre around that, that actually has that sort of symbiotic relationship. Yeah. Uh, Brendan Mayer, who, you know, spent his whole life around the Coral Reefer band and lives in Nashville and, and the machine that is Nashville. He put it, he called it, possibly the last great bastion of independent music is the way he described yeah. the trap rock community and, and not just the artists, but the fans and the, the like, people like me and Eric Babin who, you know, the whole, the whole shoot match. You know, I was going to mention this earlier. Uh, be, I, I just so appreciate y'all's passion, the passion that goes into this, you know, the things that you do, the, the trips that you make happen, and uh, the shows that you make happen with Pirates and Poets, you know, you're not getting rich off this, but it's about, yeah. I know. So it, it's, about the, the, it's about the love of doing it. And to me, that's, that's worth more than dollars. It's so cool. I'm so, I'm so pleased to be a part of it and, and proud of you for doing it. Oh, thank you. You know, it's, it's just really cool. And, your uh, idea, your yeah. ideas, Mardi Gras, mm-hmm. you know, that, that you just can't replace that. Uh, what a cool Sunday night last year at Meeting of the Minds, about 12 or 15 of us, uh, you know, all ended up in, uh, good Lord, I've gone blank bar. now. Uh, a little bar. There should be a bar. name right now to keep it a little bar. <laughs> yes, I, the, little, the little bar. And I mean, and it was all... Um, it was all artists or people who work really closely with the artists, you know, and we were, uh, we were all tired. We were all done. And I think we were all a little unchained. Well, yeah. come, come to find out there is, well, there was one fan in the bar that night who he was just going there. He'd heard about this place, wanted to go have a drink. Yep. And, uh, he told Danielle and I later on, we, we ended up talking to him trying to set up a show in his hometown. And he said, I just want to tell y'all that y'all, y'all don't know who I am. Y'all didn't know I was there. He goes, but my one drink turned into about five because I was just watching all these people who I thought of as, you know, these big time artists. He goes, but I was just watching a whole bunch of friends, you know, celebrating surviving a week in Key West. (laughs) You know what? That is, that is such a great testimonial to what this whole trop rock thing is. It is friends on, on every end of it. I mean, you know, there's people that I only see once every two years, but I'm I'm so happy to see them, and they're they're out doing what they want to do. And uh, there's fans that come to all the shows, and uh, you know, it's it's a great family. It's a really great feeling. It it really is. So, is. yeah, I remember that night. That was that was a great night. Ooh, it they, were was... of, they were out of hot dogs, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So hey, we. We close this with a with a series of rapid fire questions, but okay. kind of tease that you might have a song for me. Yeah, so yeah. How about we? How about you play a song for us, and then we'll do uh, rapid fire. 
And then we'll do rapid fire. It's like Jeopardy or something. I can feel yes. it now. Thanks, Alex. I'll take I'll take rapid fire trop rock for three fifty. Well, speaking of fans, uh, there's a fan that lives here in uh, in Sarasota, and her name is Lois, and. She comes out to all my shows. She comes out to all John Patty's shows. She does anybody who's coming through town, she goes. And she um, she never really knew about live music. And she's just turned 70. And she never knew about live music when she was younger, raising a family. The kids were grown. She ended up getting divorced and being on her own. And she just really discovered music and it and it was such it's such a neat thing to see her joy of discovering live music and especially original music she loves hearing cover bands but she lives for the original music and so uh she's from pennsylvania but i wrote this song for her because she told me that she went to key west once and it was a life-changing experience and on her back porch there's a uh, a plaque that has a pair of flip-flops tacked to it it says if you change your shoes you just might change your life She makes her empty drink a maraca While the band plays an island groove There's lots more music down Duval Street But she really doesn't want to move She hears the music in a new way And she's hoping that it goes all night She never knew that if you change your shoes You just might change your life She's wearing floral prints and flip-flops Got her bikini in her old backpack She went down to Key West She never really did come back Back home in Pennsylvania There's friends and there's family But her rent-a-car road trip through Florida Showed her everything she needed to see She was smiling on the Sunshine Skyway, dancing through the Everglades. But her life was changed when the top came down, headed south on A1A. She's wearing floral prints and flip-flops, got her bikini and her old backpack. She went down to Key West, she never really did come back. She loves the sunset from a bar stool. That slow drive up through the keys. She's sending selfies home on her telephone, saying, This is where I'm meant to be. She's wearing floral prints and flip flops. Got her bikini and her old backpack. She went down to Key West. She never really did come back. She's wearing floral prints and flip-flops. 
Her blue bikinis and her old backpack. She went down to Key West Town. She never really did come back. Lois went down to Key West. She never really did come back. Cha-cha. Brand new music from Sunny Jim. What's the official name? I can probably guess, but go ahead and tell us. What's the name? Actually called Floral Prints and Flip Flops. Ah, not what I would have guessed. Do, I, I couldn't do um, Lois Went Down to Key West because that was too much reminiscent of Mary Jane Goes to Key West by Jim Morris. Ah, okay. All right. Are you ready for the rapid fire? I'm ready. Hit All me. Right. What is your wait, favorite? Wait, wait, wait. Wait a minute. We got to wait. We got to hang Before on. Or there's the rapid fire. Let's see if you can identify this sound. One of my favorite sounds in life. You ready? Here we go. I want to know what you're drinking. A minute ago, it was Yingling. What is that? Well, we went from Shinerbach to Yingling to uh, Cigar City of Tampa Brewery, uh, Highlight India Pale Ale IPA. Ah, nice. I'm cleaning out the uh, the cooler here before John Patty comes over tomorrow night. We're doing a show, and I, I'm you know getting rid of the odds and ends, and we'll buy something else for tomorrow's show. So I'm ready for the rapid fire. Hit me! All right. What is your favorite Jimmy Buffett song? Oh, oh, that's a tough one. But um, you know, one of my favorites because. I heard it right after I had read the book by Gabriel Garcia Marquez called 100 Years of Solitude. He was a fugitive with a pseudo name. Lost his mind in a hurricane with a coconut upside his head. People said he'd be better dead because it's... Glory days were gone. Now he sits on the store with his saxophone and plays. And here comes the title. Nobody speaks to the captain no more. No one is interested in settling old scores. Hey, what the hell were we fighting for such a long, long time ago? Nobody speaks to the captain no more. There you go. You were the first uh, guest to have a guitar with him, but I think I kind of like this. Well, so. you know, you just never know when it's going to come in handy, like when someone asks you a musical question. There you go. Favorite cocktail? Oh, without a doubt, rum and coke. There we go. And that comes from my, my Caribbean years. Yes. Uh, it started out as being the uh, Papa Doble which is like the double shot of rum on ice with a twist of lime. But then I got to be a little more pragmatic, and I decided I need to have a little something in there to keep me from getting my butt kicked <laughs> every time I had a drink. So, yeah, rum and Cokes, you know, I, I, I do love rums, and I, I have tried many, many different kinds of rums. And uh, so rum is my favorite uh, elixir, but uh, – Rum and Coke is just a simple, simple thing. There we go. 
What uh, is your favorite song by an independent trap rock artist? Oh, man. You know, that changes every time I hear a new album. You can throw uh, two or three out there. I, I'll, I'll throw a couple out. Uh, just from my old friend Jim Morris, I mean, he has so many that I love, but uh, one that I... <laughs> One that I love is uh, um, of his is the song that I think describes um, the, the the best description ever about being a musician or an entertainer, and that's called "It's Not Rocket Surgery." And it's really long, and there's a lot of verses, but it tells a great story in in the perfect way. So another one, um, Mark Mulligan has a song called. Um, Somewhere Under the Sky, that I absolutely love. Uh, Donnie Brewer's got a bunch of them. Man, there's so many. That's an impossible question to answer. So, All right. But see, you, t- you threw some titles out there people can go look up. So there yes, we go. I hope they do. hope they do. Kenny Chesney or Bob Marley? Oh, Bob Marley. You know, although, God, that's a tough one. Different eras, different needs from different times. I'm a huge Bob Marley fan because he was the first guy. He was the, you know, the guy that put uh, the Caribbean on the map musically, really, more than Harry Belafonte even. All right. Uh, a book that you think everybody should go check out? A book. Mm, let's see. Well, my Texas heritage says Lonesome Dove. That's one of the all-time oh, yeah. greats. Um you know, I have to confess, I have been so busy in the last two years, I haven't read a lot. My all-time, I have two all-time favorite uh, series of books. One is, of course, all of the Travis McGee novels, John oh, yeah. D. McDonald. And and I've read all of those probably three times. The, uh, the next one would be... Um, Let's see. Oh, I had this in my head just now. Um, So, let's see. What is the other one? The other favorite. Oh, Master and Commander. Uh, All that whole series. I'm a nautical guy, and I love reading about boats and and this whole Victorian-era time on the sea, the Jack Aubrey novels, um, Master and Commander, there's a series of maybe 18 of those novels and they're great. If you like that kind of stuff to get into them. And if you've never seen the movie, the movie is a really great representative of what the books are like. Movies are good. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what is your favorite Jimmy Buffett album? Whole album. Oh, that's a tough. Oh, I know it's not a tough one. That's an easy one. You had to be there. The live album from the Fox theater. When Jimmy had a broken leg, I, I think that is one of the most fun live albums ever recorded. And uh, it's a great representative of, of what Jimmy Buffett's capable of. Everything from, uh, um, you know, is Fins on that one? I can't even remember if Fins is on that. I think that was probably but before Fins. I, I think it was. But it's a great representative of the the whole gamut of Jimmy Buffett stuff. Um um, let's see. Oh, yes, that's my favorite Jimmy Buffett album right there. I just got the new album about 
a week ago, and I've only listened to it once, and I really like it. I, I, I'm going to get in trouble by saying this, but I have not really checked it out yet. And I well, you know, you, you can't jump on everything all the time, and I've, I've been busy with fences and pergolas and live <laughs> shows. So, but uh, I did take a trip up to – I played in St. Pete Beach. There's a little place right on the beach called the Paradise Grill that I've been lucky enough to get back in there. Um, and so on the way up and on the way back, I was able to listen to the new Buffett album. I really like it. It's good. All right. I got to check it out. And what here else? is the, uh, the big one. If you were going to create a Mount Rushmore of trap rock artists, independent trap rock artists, what four faces would you put up there? Oh man. There, there's so many people that, that I know from the early days. Um, I would say, of course, Jim Morris. Uh, I would say maybe Jerry Gontang, uh, Brent Burns, because if I don't say Brent Burns, he's going to kick my ass. Even for an old guy, he can be pretty feisty. Yeah, and he might just take his clothes off in a fit of rage. Oh, oh my God. I've got pictures of that, and I'll sell them to anybody on the Internet who wants to. <laughs> you don't, believe me, you don't really want to see that. No, I was there. Um, you don't want it. Um, uh and of course, Jerry Diaz. Jerry's like, you know, Jerry's, Jerry's been doing this forever. I mean, there are so many guys, though. There's so many people. Um, that's a pretty good I one. That is, you know, that's, I can't and imagine people you, saying other people. You are, I think, the first person to mention Jerry Gontang. So, really? Yeah. I mean, uh, gosh, who, who else? Uh, I mean, Believe me, from 1998 until now, I've kind of met everybody, and there's a lot of people that are really good, and, and uh, it's, a, it's a hard call. Um, it's a tough call. I think that's a pretty good, pretty good lineup there, though. And final question, you're going to add one non-musician member of the community to that. Who would it be? Oh, uh, oh gosh. To a non-musician, though. Um, I don't know. Maybe Alex Leist, who uh, who kind of saw the the, the birthing pains of of uh, MOTM and you know kind of rode herd on that. And so I, I like Alex. That's a good, yeah, a good, a good one from my point of view. I don't know. Maybe the the average Joe fan or Joe Ann fan because they're. <laughs> want to be equal opportunity here right well james thank you so much for visiting with me uh i uh, always enjoy talking to you and we haven't got a chance to talk all year because they've you know kept us apart so (laughs) they'll no longer keep us apart that's a little creepy to say but but (laughs) we haven't haven't seen each other for a while and uh since new orleans since park so and uh so anyhow I miss you, and I really appreciate all that you do. And um, keep it up, man. It's great. It's great. I look forward to the next time our paths cross. Yes, Key West, for sure. So we're going to make it happen. So. I look forward to it. All right, folks, uh, go check it out. Surely by now you know about Sunday Jim, but if you just joined this community, check him out. SundayGym.com, correctly? That's correct. There you go. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in. James, thank you so much. 
Thanks, JB. Thank you, Pirates and Poets, and all the people who listen. Thank you so much.